Welcome to Elevate, the podcast where we dissect exceptional achievers who are consistently raising the bar personally and professionally to produce extraordinary results in investment real estate and ultimately in their lives. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chester. I'm so thankful to have you here, and I'm absolutely blessed and grateful to be sitting here with David Allen. David, how are you, sir? Uh, Tyler, I'm great. Thanks for the invitation. Happy to be here. Absolutely. Well, I can already tell the calmness, you know, of the world's most productive man is what I like to call you. Um, So I'm super thankful to have you here. And if you haven't heard about David and his work, you know, we're certainly going to introduce you to that and more today. So really excited to welcome Elevate Nation back. And I want to ask you this question that I ask every single time is, are you ready to take it to another level? Because today is that day we're going to be absolutely raising that bar. You know, our mission is to identify and apply how the best of the best raise the bar personally and professionally to achieve greatness in real estate and beyond. And this is where you learn the mindset, the habits, the routines, systems, tools, strategies, and so much more from those who have elevated to a life without limits so you can do the same yourself. And this is absolutely going to be a masterclass today because we got the master himself, David Allen, uh, famous for GTD, getting things done. And I want to introduce you to David. But prior to doing that, I want to remind you, you know, give us a subscribe, you know, subscribe to the show, give us a rating, a review, tell us exactly what you're getting from this show, because our goal is to impact millions of people and help them realize that anything is possible in your life. Uh, And we've got, you know, systems and strategies and mindset tactics to do that. But while Uh, All that said, let me go ahead and introduce you to David for the maybe 1% of you who've never heard of uh, Mr. David Allen. He is one of the world's most influential thinkers on productivity, and he has 35 years experience as a management consultant and executive coach, and have earned him the titles of personal productivity guru by Fast Company Magazine and one of America's top five executive coaches by Forbes Magazine. The American Management Association has ranked him in the top 10 business leaders. His best-selling book, The Groundbreaking, Getting Things Done, The Art of Stress-Free Productivity, has been published in 30 language and the GTD methodology it describes has become a global phenomenon, being taught by training companies in 60 countries. David and his company and his partners are dedicated to teaching people how to stay relaxed and productive in our fast-paced world. So it is absolutely that. And David, welcome to the show. Tell, tell us a little bit more about who is David Allen, the man behind the bio and behind all the you know, global <laughs> I'm the laziest guy. Yeah, I'm the laziest guy you ever met. That's how <laughs> I came up with this. I'm not a naturally organized or structured guy. I, 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 I've done that fairly regularly in my life because primarily I hate wasting time, hate wasting energy, and I love freedom. So uh, those were sort of key elements to me in my life that I always kept looking for techniques that allowed me to stay free and stay whatever, but still be involved in a professional world and in in a world and a career that, um, you know, that was intriguing to me and and produced value for for people and produced money for me. So, you know, I've been, you know, in in that game. But I guess one way to describe this is that through my practices, both martial arts and meditation and spiritual practices and so forth many years ago, and discovered sort of the value of clear space in your head. Mm-hmm. What it's like to be present. Well, come on, you got realtors trying to walk somebody through a house and they're not present. 
you know, come on, they're missing opportunities, right? So mm-hmm. the whole idea of being present, being that is, and being present simply means you have no distraction and you can, are able to put your full um, attention and creative thinking and, and all of your sort of psychological assets, you know, at play, whatever you're doing, whether that's cooking spaghetti or you know, tucking your kids into bed or selling a house. So it's all about getting sort of a clear space in your head. And I discovered that early on. And then as I got into my own consulting practice and started to find out that my life got more complex, more professional and sort of up leveled itself, it's pretty easy to, to get to screw up clear space. So I got very hungry myself for just techniques that, that worked for that and got very excited when I found techniques that allowed me to be more free, clear up my head, allow me to more meaningful, you know, space to focus on meaningful stuff. So I found those for myself, turned around and started using those with my consulting clients and it turned out that the techniques I discovered produced exactly the same results without exception or control or focus or space, more energy, more freedom to think about what you wanted to think about the way you wanted to think about them, larger horizon, more strategy, more creativity, all kinds of great stuff showed up when people started to implement these techniques I had discovered. Then a you know big guy in in a big corporation, head of human resources said, gee, David, we need those results in our whole company. <laughs> more control, more focus, more, you know, all that good stuff. So he said, can you design something around what you've uncovered here as a methodology that could be produced into some sort of a training format you know, so that we could reach a lot of people instead of just one at a time with what you're doing. So I designed personal productivity training. We did a pilot program for a thousand executives and managers in their corporation. And it worked. And I found myself, in spite of myself, thrust into the corporate training world. This was Lockheed, 1983, 84. And, but I've, you know, let me give an apology right now. I have never had a traditional formal uh, course of training in time management, business productivity, uh, or psychology. So this is all just street smarts. This was all just, okay, what actually works? You know, what do I do and whatever? So I had no preconditions about what this should be or what it needs to look like. So I just sort of, you know, created this kind of stuff. I suppose you'd say now kind of out of the box because there were a lot of boxes kind of showing up then about time management and productivity, what we're supposed to do. So, so then I wound up just following, you know, just following my nose little boutique kind of consulting and training business that I, that I then built not particularly aspirational or entrepreneurial myself. You know, I was more of a researcher and educator than, a, than, than anything else. But it, just, but it was nice to find something that people found of value. So it was just all referral-based. I did no marketing for two decades. Just picked up the phone. People say, wow, I heard about, can you come in and work this? So I wound up training hundreds of thousands of people in mostly American you know, businesses, corporations, institutions. And my consulting turned into coaching, one-on-one coaching desk side with a lot of the senior people in these organizations that once they kind of caught what this was, they wanted hands-on, you know, uh, kind of solo coaching and working with them. So I have literally spent, you know, Malcolm Gladwell talks about 10,000 hours makes you an expert. I probably spent 50,000 hours, literally one-on-one desk side with some of the busiest and brightest people you'd ever meet actually applying and having, helping them implement this set of best practices and watching the results. Finally, after about 25 years, it took me that long to kind of figure out what I'd figured out and nobody else had figured that out the same way I had and that it was bulletproof. You couldn't punch a hole in it. So then I had a bunch of good coaches say, David, you need to write the book. 
you know, you might get run over by a bus. And so you might as well you put it in a manual, you know, so at least some, at least it's there, at least what you've discovered. So that's when I wrote the first edition of getting things done. But that was after 25 years of working with this methodology. I just then decided to sort of encode it into a book form. And that was, you know, it was published in 2001, first edition. So there's a very short version of a very long story. No, oh, that's amazing. I, I really appreciate you sharing all that. But, you know, it seems like you were literally just sol- trying to solve your own problem in your own life of your own sort of challenge of overwhelm and, you know, actually kind of peak performance to a certain degree. And then you said, you know what, maybe I've got, maybe I'm on to something here. Let me start sharing this with others. Is that, is that correct? And then you kind of just followed your well, nose and it just took I, off. I wouldn't say back to, I didn't feel like I was out of control. Okay. I thought I had my act pretty well together but I was always kind of hungry to explore, you know, sort of expansion of consciousness, expansion of experiences and, and, and what, what could allow me to get more free. So I wound up, you know, having a mentor for a couple of years, uh, that, that just sort of took me by the hand. He kind of took to me and said, you know, gee, David, I don't think I'm going to take this as far as you may take it. And so he shared with me a whole lot of what he had learned about how to get people free and clear in their heads so they could make organizational changes much more easily. So he taught me, he said, I thought I had my act together. And he sat me down and said, okay, David, let's, let's, let me walk you through this little process. And he said, okay, let's empty your head of every single thing on your mind. Write every single thing on a single piece of paper. This is 1981, 1982, right? So there weren't even planners or no digital tools or anything. So just one piece of paper per thought, buy cat food, hire a vice president, uh, fix the tooth that hurts you, whatever. So he had me actually dump all that stuff out. And then he said, okay, let's, now let's go back through those, that pile of paper and make a de- next action decision about these things you wrote down. What's the next thing you need to do about that? So he started to tell me, he didn't put it in those words, but now you know, that became sort of a core, some of the core practices of this methodology, mm-hmm. which is externalize the stuff that has your attention and make you know, clean decisions about what you need to do about it, what it means to you. So finish your thinking. You know, and so he taught me about mind, the mind sweep and the next action concept. And I went, oh, my God, I, I, I felt fine. And suddenly I felt extraordinarily fine. So to me, it wasn't like fixing some major problem. It was more like exploring and, ex- and experiencing something, much like I'd done with drugs in the 60s. You know, come on, I was in <laughs> Berkeley in 68. So, you know, and not to escape, but just to explore. What are, the, mm-hmm. what are the spaces you could get to? You know, what, what is all this stuff? I'm glad so, we're going there because that's what I thought, you know, the first time I read your book and I looked at it and I, to be honest, I told you before the show, I said, man, I looked at your book. It was sitting on my bookshelf and I said, eh, I'll get to that. It looks, it looks a little boring to be honest with you. And I know I need to get more things done, but then I started reading it. And what you mentioned there in terms of expansion of consciousness did start to occur in my life. I started to feel more at peace more present. And when I started to implement these things, it's like, wow, I can actually be creative and I can be thoughtful. I can be my best self. And so it sounds like that was sort of the curiosity that kind of drew you in as well in terms of your passion. Yeah, yeah it was. But then it, it turned out over all these years, a whole lot, it, it, uh, interestingly, Tyler, the people most attracted to what I've done are the people who need it the least. Probably like you, you know, that probably by the time you came across myself, you were probably people, you asked people around you, they would already say, you're one of the most organized, productive, aspirationally focused people they know. And right. that's why you were interested in this because you already knew the value of system 
but you already felt up to the edge. You couldn't go any further and you wanted to go further because you knew mm -hmm. you could, you could do that. And so that's been the, the major audience, frankly, of the people most attracted to what I've done are the cool thing about my life is I've gotten to hang out with some of the coolest, most productive people you'd ever meet because they were the people most attracted to this. I mean, the people who really need this are just too unconscious to think they need it. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, our audience is, you know, many real estate investors and many people who are just committed to, you know, raising the bar in their own life and pushing the limits. And, you know, in that, I know I can attest to this personally. It's like when you push those limits, more things come in and more opportunities come your way. And it's like, whoa, you start to get to this point where it's like, how am I gonna do all this or how am I gonna do any of this? Cause you get analysis paralysis and you start to get to a point where it's like, oh my gosh, I don't know how to handle this input and how to maximize my output. And so, you know, really what you talk about in terms of, you know, doing that, it's a process. And so I'd be curious, you know, was yeah, that your I, experience or you see that? Yeah, well, not only that, Tyler, those people, this audience listening to this right now, it's how many, how many plates are you spinning right now and how many hats are you wearing? Right. Much like the same issue of startups and entrepreneurs that have to wear a, a party hat, they have to wear a count the pennies hat, they have to wear a, they have to wear a marketing hat, they have to wear a, a hiring hat, they have to wear a firing hat. I'm, oh my God. Yeah. And it's so when you have all those roles, you know, because a lot of the people in the real estate business, at least from my, you know, there's obviously big real estate companies. But most of the people in the, the, I would imagine the majority of the people that you're dealing with are people that, that are much more have their own game and have sort of built their own organizations, built their own staff, built their own uh, game in terms of what they're doing. Yeah. But e even so, I mean, I've, a lot of the large or real estate organizations are big champions of my work. But, the, but, but yeah, it's all the different things that people have to then keep, it, keep track of. Yeah. So it's not just the volume, but it's the different variety of stuff. Mm -hmm. And for the different variety, boy, it's so easy to get down in the weeds and forget strategy. It's so easy to get down in the weeds when you're dealing with whatever and forget the bigger picture. So a lot of what my methodology is about is being able to externalize all those commitments at all those different levels and then give yourself the opportunity to then lift up to whatever horizon you need to look at. Wow, this next week, what do I need to be aware of? Wow, I'm having a meeting with this particular major client. What do I need to be aware of? And mm -hmm. so all of those, you know, sort of require the, the beforehand, the clarification of the contents of my commitments and the things I need to be aware of when I move into those contexts. And that's the algorithm I figured out. How do you get that meeting off your mind? How do you get that client off your mind? Because there's an inverse relationship between on your mind and getting done. So anybody listening to this that's got stuff projects that you that are bugging you that are waking you up at three o'clock in the morning or whatever that just means you're not appropriately engaged with it yet there are decisions about it you haven't made about what you need to do what are the active moving parts you know, and where do you need to park a reminder of that for you or the right people to see at the right time so that's off your mind so you know, inverse relationship between on your mind and getting done the more things are on your mind the less it's happening and you're the bottleneck i just Absolutely. figured out the algorithm about how do you clear that and so clearing it doesn't mean you finish all that. It just means you appropriately engage with it. So your mind is clear and the right people and the right, and you particularly are going to see the right things at the right time, you know, to let you know what to do. So it's, it sounds simple, but that's a challenging thing to do. If you really are going to, un, uh, you know, curate the subtleties of the commitments people have, you know, with themselves. 
Oh, I need to, I should. Oh my God, my kid wants karate lessons. What do I do about that? Oh my God, but this client just called and this thing just say, oh my God, my computer just froze. You know, what do I need? Yada, yada, yada. Absolutely. It couldn't be more relevant than it is today and increasingly more relevant every single day. And a few things that you talk about so frequently is really, you know, getting to that high performance frame of mind. And even what you were just talking about as well, in terms of I've got so many different commitments, I'm wearing so many different hats, and certainly entrepreneurs know what that's like. But you even talk about rapid refocusing, uh, not, not necessarily multitasking, but what do you mean by rapid refocusing? Well, if you look at a karateist fight four people at once, are they fighting four people at once? No, <laughs> one at a time. Just very quick refocusing, that, then that, then that, and then that. But there's no residue coming from one to the next. You're just fully present to be able to do that. So, but you can't be, you can't rapidly refocus if some part of you is still tied into the previous focus. That's the problem. See, if you were to, if somebody came in, if my wife came in right now or something just happened, I got an emergency text on my phone or something like that, I'm going to make a note or make sure I've got something somewhere and I throw that into my in-tray so I can come back to you. But it's not in my head, which is a crappy office. Right. It's in a system so that I know I will get back to that. So my mind gets to let that go because I've now got a placeholder that I trust. Because you so, trust it. That's the key yeah. word. That's a key word. Well, that's why anybody listening to this has ever put stuff in front of your door. <laughs> why would you, you know, duh. Well, that was a smart thing to do. The night before, some part of you realized that you're probably going to be dumb and unconscious trying to go through the door in the morning. So while you, while you were co conscious and smart, you made a smart decision and then parked the results of that somewhere that you trusted so that then I can be kind of dumb and thick and unconscious and do a smart thing. Mm-hmm. So how does martial art tie into this? Because I know you talk about that a lot. You're very passionate about martial art and just the concept of mindfulness and just being, having a mind like water that you talk about. What, how does that tie into productivity? Well, being present is your most productive state. With nothing else on your mind. Mm -hmm. best, best state to hit a golf ball from, cook spaghetti from, watch your daughter play soccer from. Best state to have a difficult conversation. You know, that's, hey, let me just be present. The old martial arts had a lot of training about being present because if you're jumped by four people in a dark alley, you don't want to have your mind wrapped around 2,000 unprocessed emails. Mm -hmm. you, know, you need to be, you need to be fully there. And so a whole lot of the martial arts, I mean, I learned 35 years ago, what the mindfulness people are teaching now, which is just fo focus on your breathing and yeah, no kidding. Right. That brings you present because your breath is present. Takes you away from the, you know, regret of the past and fear of the future, which yeah. takes you out of it, which takes you out of the present. So just being present. So whatever, so there's a, a lot in the martial arts about that, you know, and that's not woo woo stuff. That's real stuff. You know, if I can, that's why if I were sparring with you right now, Tyler, I'd like to get you upset. Why? Because then you're going to be distracted and you're not going to be present and, and you're going to over or underreact to what I do. So I can fake you and I win. Mm -hmm. That's why you see boxers try to, you know, nag each other and, and, and promote and poke at each other and, you know, and, and whatever. Because if I can get you upset, you will over or underreact. So they're very real consequences of not being present in those kinds of situations. But that's true anywhere. It's just in the martial arts, it's a little more graphic and a little more immediate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like presence is a superpower, especially in our fast paced world when we have so many demands on us. You know, the real 
answer is to be where you are, right? You only have this moment. We only have right now. And I, I love the acronym WIN, W-I-N. It's like, what am I doing now? Obviously, we've got to have a system where we can trust what needs to happen next. What's that next action? But I love the superpower of being present. I feel like that's something that many of the listeners who are listening right now, they need to really kind of maybe course correct on. Would you agree? Do you see that in your world? <laughs> There's nobody that doesn't need that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, who do you know that is totally present 100% of the time? And by the way, I'm not either. I fall off my own wagon regularly. I just don't stay off. Yeah. I just go, wait a minute. What's got my attention right now? What do I need to do to get this off my mind? Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, if you're not falling off being present, you may not be playing a big enough game. Because mm -hmm. as soon as you take on a new client, take on a new project, take on a new vision, take on a new goal, you're going to have to undo and, and disturb essentially your status quo. If you're going to really commit to the new one, because mm -hmm. you're already full up. Tyler, you're already up to here. Come on. Right. You take on anything new, some part of you has to decide, wait a minute, I've got to reintegrate, re recalibrate, refocus based upon the new input. So there's nothing new in the world except how frequently things are new. And that's why, you know, GTD is sort of spreading around the world right now because it, you know, how many times did your parents have to totally reintegrate, recalibrate, and refocus their lives and their life, you know, career and, and lifestyle? How many times have you done that already and yeah. may still, right? So that's the big difference. And there's nothing new in terms of people ask about the technology. Well, there's no difference in the technology. Come on. You know, mm -hmm. I wasted time for, with my, when I was 14 with my girlfriend, two hours on the telephone. <laughs> What's the difference between that and social media? I mean, it comes the same thing. The difference is the volume, accessibility, connectivity, and speed of new inputs that are potentially relevant and interesting and fun to you. That's what's new. And so there's highly, um, a high potential for addiction to all that new input that's so easily available to everybody. So you don't take time to think and reflect. And that's a lot of why learning to be present and what do I need to get present? And then how do I then maintain my presentness lift up my altitude and horizon. So I'm managing the forest instead of hugging the trees all the time. Mm -hmm. Are you someone who is looking to seriously elevate your life this year? I mean, now, this year, 2020, because I want to let you know that I am currently opening up a few coaching spots for people like you who want to close the gap from where you are to where you want to be. And I want to invite you to visit coachwithtyler.com. Again, that's coachwithtyler.com. I have to tell you, this is not for everyone. This is only for those who are defiantly committed, those who are decisive, those who are coachable, those who are resourceful. They're willing to do whatever it takes. They're willing to sacrifice time, energy, and invest resources into themselves to get to where they want to be, to live life at the highest level, and to elevate to a life without limits, exactly what we talked about on this show. If that is you, I invite you to visit coachwithtyler.com. Again, that's coachwithtyler.com. And that's, that's, not, that's not something you're born doing. You actually need to learn how to do that. I wish that they would teach this in school. I mean, it, when I read the book, I'm like, can you imagine if we could have just, you know, planted these seeds from a young age instead of creating bad habits and then having to, you know, it, it's yeah. a challenge to reorganize your life in this way. I mean, it's very challenging. It's like, how, how bad do you want it? But I, I, the comment that you made, and I just, I didn't want to let it go 
without making a mention of it is you may not be playing a high enough level game. And you may have said that in a little bit of a different way if you're not, you know, experiencing some, you know, pull from being present, you know, so I think it's, it's a reminder to us that, you know what, hey, if you're not feeling present right now, you've got another action coming in, you've got another project coming in, you know, maybe that's a good thing. So let's reframe this. And then let's course correct. So well, I just manage it. Yeah. Yeah. You just manage it. You just manage a new input. I mean, if you, if you didn't have any challenges, you'd never grow or ex- expand or express yourself. I and mean, we're here to really accomplish and, and to deal with obstacles and learn who we are in the process of, you know, moving through them and mm-hmm. what we're learning about ourselves and about the world and about, you know, all that good stuff while we do that. So you don't want to get rid of, you know, this methodology doesn't make life easy. It makes it conscious. Hmm. Right. So, wait a minute, what's got my attention right now? Why? See, I don't give a hoot about what's in your email, Tyler, right now. <laughs> I can I share it with about, you. you. No, no, thanks. <laughs> well, that's fine. You can show it to me, but I don't, I don't care. <laughs> I, I care about mine. I care what things have shown up into my world that I deal with those appropriately. And I've got, you know, I don't know, you know, I got notes here that while I've been here batching it, you know, I got, I got all kinds of notes of things as I've been going through my day to day that, uh, and, uh, look at this. okay. And they're all in my entry. That's awesome. So, you know, when I get off with you, those things are not on my mind because they're already in a system. I trust I will then deal with soon enough. Mm-hmm. Right. Practicing what you that, preach. That allows me to be present. Mm-hmm. So it, the, not that those are easy. A couple of those are kind of, I think, you're going to be like, I'm going, oh, okay, well, I'll deal with that. Mm-hmm. But that's okay. But I know it's kind of the Zen of it's okay that I have overwhelm sitting over there <laughs> because yeah. I know where it is. I've identified what it is and I know I will have a process to deal with it. So I don't have to have that spinning around and creating, you know, these days, my kind of what I'm talking about is it's not so much overwhelms the issue. If you were truly overwhelmed, you'd fix it. Hmm. Right? That's what a crisis produces, a sense of overwhelm. And you'd, 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 you'd manage to get out of your crisis, right? The problem is when you're not in a real crisis, the, the bigger crises show up, the demons at the gate all come rushing through. Oh, you could do this, Tyler. You could do this right now. Oh, my God, ah, you could do this. What website should you surf now? Yeah, here's an opportunity. And somebody just asked you about this. How much time do you want to actually spend responding to that email? And, and you, have, you, have the st- you have the stress of opportunity. And so it's, it's the ambient anxiety about all of that. That's the biggest issue. And the biggest issue about ambient anxiety is that most people have been in it for so long, they don't even realize they're in it. It's like the last thing a fish notices is water. And most people actually don't realize how much spin they've got spinning subliminally that's actually exhausting their energy and keeping them from being present because they've mm-hmm. been in it so long. So that's my marketing issue is letting people know, hey, guys, there is, <laughs> there is another place to be. Right? There is another way you could be, that, but it's going to be different than what you've been experiencing. So what you experienced when you read the book and said, oh, my God, wow, I just felt an increase in energy, more focus on all that stuff, as you said, mm-hmm. that should become the new normal. The more that's unusual, the less you're going to stick with it. Mm-hmm. So you need, you just need to make that your new normal. When you do that, then, then you'll, you'll do these methodologies, you'll do these practices simply because you have to, in Absolutely. order to stay back to your, to your, to that clarity of space. 
I couldn't agree more. And I love the thought of, you know, really even more so from just the incoming, but from the creative aspect, you know, of the space that this gives you to then create a vision for what you're looking to accomplish and, and the life that you're looking to create and really kind of going 50,000 feet above, you know, the planet and looking down on your life and saying, here's what that looks like. And even going further down, you know, 30,000 foot, 20,000 foot. And then, you know, each year, each month, you know, and then going into what's the next action. And to me, you know, it's, it's such a simple process that, you know, many people are not aware of. Perhaps that's the awareness is the issue here is that this ambient anxiety, they're not aware of how many things are spinning until you start to dump this all out. And then you have room for this creativity. So could you talk about that in terms of the vision that this has at least helped you accomplish in your own life and what you've seen for others? Oh, sure. I'm still my own fellow student. I have to do this regularly. Yeah. I don't stop. I just identified what we're all in all the time. This doesn't, you don't end with having to deal with new things that show up, new decisions you need to make about them, organizing results appropriately, stepping back and reviewing the gestalt of, of the whole picture so that you're making confident choices about how you allocate your attention and your activities and your resources. Come on. I just, I didn't make that up. I just identified what you actually do. If you're going to get your kitchen under control, you identify what's off. You clarify what they are, dirty dish, clean dish, spice. You then organize those things based upon where they need to go. You then step back and reflect on the whole game. And then you pull out butter and melt it, right? For appetizers, for your guests. So I didn't make that up. It's just those are very different practices. Most people just don't do that about their life. But it's how you get your kitchen under control, how you get your company under control, how you get your consciousness under control. I just identified what that was as an algorithm or as a formula. But, you know, and again, if it were easy, I'd have to find another job. You know, so I love, you know, slow learners with money that are attracted to what I do. So <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, you know, I, I don't mean to be facile about that, but the truth is it is not something we're born doing. And it's, it is something, especially since knowledge work showed up 150 years ago, where you actually have to think to figure out what to do, mm -hmm. as opposed to doing is obviously in front of you, what you need to do. Right. David, so, what's, the, um, what's the best way to implement this across teams? I know you work with organizations to do that, but you know, I know many real estate entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs otherwise, you know, the only way for them to scale what they're doing is to build a team, to build an organization. And of course, yep. yeah, you got to lead from the top, right? And you got to do your, your thing. You got to create your own systems. But how do you, I mean, is there any suggestions that you would, uh, you would point to? Sure. Well, I have two. Number one is that these techniques will identify what has your attention, what has the team's attention. That'd be my first question as a consultant. I walk into the team call, what's got the team's attention right now? What's not on cruise control on the, for this team? I'm gonna make that list. And then I'm gonna say, great, let's take them one at a time. What is that? Tell me exactly what that is. What are you, what's your desired outcome? What's the next step? Who's doing it? And then we're gonna say, and who needs to keep track of that? Where? Who needs to then review and reflect on what that content is? How often? So, come on. Could you have any better conversation for a team to get it under control mm -hmm. with what got the team's attention and how to allocate its resources than that conversation? But that's just those five steps. Capture, 
clarify, organize, reflect, and engage. That's all that is. It doesn't take the engage step with a team because the engage step says, okay, who got that? So then, this, you know, suggestion number two, make sure everybody on the team gets GTD so that you don't have to have another meeting to fix somebody who screwed up. Yeah. Right. So they got it. They got the accountability for it. Anybody who cares that they come back to it, it's got their own waiting for list. Believe me, you move way up the food chain. When both the team make sure it has this thought process built into the team interactions and that the individuals on the team have built in these best practices so that you don't have to keep, you know, come on, crappy meetings, create crappy emails, which create crappy meetings. You know, what we decide and who got that and how come we didn't, and let's have another meeting. Oh, give me a break. You know, that's the biggest issue out there. There are emails and meetings that are unconscious, that are just trying to fix cracks in the system that the individuals and the teams themselves were not, because they weren't focused on outcomes and actions and accountabilities and roles. So there's a lot that goes into that, you know. Uh, anyway, that's the short answer. <laughs> to, well, the, uh, yeah, the short answer is to ask the right questions here in terms of what has the team's attention, but then also giving them the resources to own this process themselves. Sure. Right. And, and, and probably number three, which is who owns the team and the team's outputs. What's mm -hmm. the purpose of the team? What's it designed to do? And who's going to be accountable for making sure that happens? Because they're the people who have to decide how often that team needs to come together, what's missing in terms of what we just talked about. If you don't yeah. have that, people are just going to flounder around. You know, when, that's one of those whenever two or more responsible, nobody is. And just people then just wound up bouncing around and going, something should have happened. Hope it wasn't me. Oh, God, we need another meeting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it is. Um, it's amazing what can happen. And one thing that was a big takeaway for me when studying this process and studying what you do is it's just so amazing. You start to realize, all right, the awareness of the fact that you have a project that's ongoing you know, just having that in front of you, like your weekly review as an example of, okay, we've, we've committed to these different projects, whether it's personally, professionally, or otherwise, but the fact of just keeping that in front of you helps you continue to move forward and always asking that question, what's the next action? It seems so sure. simple, but that building that process into your life is totally transformative. It is. Absolutely. So back to your question about teams, who's going to hold people accountable to doing that? And if there's nobody designated to be accountable for the result of that team's outcomes, forget it. Just let people flounder, just let people flounder around. Yeah. Till, no, till somebody great. till somebody says, "Whoops." Oh, I love it. I think accountability is huge. Obviously, you've got to you have to answer that question probably before anything else. But talk to me about consciousness. This is something that comes up so much with. Uh, you know, your work and what our discussion already today, I mean, why is that so important to you? And why is that such a focus or awareness in your own life? I know it's well, a very know. difficult question to answer probably. No, I don't know what we mean by consciousness. It's just like, what are you aware of at any point in time? And who are you? And who's, who's thinking that? If you've ever changed your mind, who did that? So getting back to it, I mean, that's the sort of the spiritual exploration with a small s anyway. Well, who are you? Who's Tyler? Well, why did you think that way? Why did you think that way? What should you be thinking about? And oh, by the way, you know, why are you on the planet? How are you doing? You know, what matters to you? 
So all those kind of things, you know, come into, those are the different horizons, as I say, in a, in a way, I know it sounds a little silly, but people go, well, there's efficiency versus effectiveness. And I go, excuse me, it's all efficiency. You're only effective when you're efficient toward a horizon you're focused on, right? It's all efficiency. How well are you doing your life purpose? Mm-hmm. How well are you manifesting your vision of career and lifestyle? How well are you... I mean, if you know what you're doing, there are only two improvement opportunities, efficiency and style. You know, if you want to get out of your room right now, you got two, and you know you want to get out of the room, you could say, okay, here's the easiest way and the simplest way with the least amount of effort I can get out of my room. That's the efficiency factor. Or you could go, excuse me, I'm just going to go styling and walk around, look through the window, look cool or whatever. And those are, in my experience, once you know what you're doing. Now, if you don't know what you're doing, that's another improvement opportunity. And then that's efficiency at, at another horizon. If you don't know what you're doing, why should you know? Oh, because there's something else that I'm bigger than or think I might want to manifest or think I might want to do. Well, great. How well are you doing that? It's still an efficiency equation. It just gets a lot more subtle. Mm-hmm. I think the, uh, the thought of who just changed their mind when you change your mind about something or when you had an idea who had the idea? Was that you? Are you identifying with that thought? I mean, yeah. that's a process that you've got to really come to understand, or at least I'm, you know, I think I'm still a, a huge student in that world. I mean, it sounds like you Me are too. as well. Me too. Oh, absolutely. You know, I'm, I'll be 75 this year. So I'm still in this game. I've been doing this work for 50 years consciously. I mean, if you actually figure out really, really who you are and really why you're here, you're probably done. I was going to say, are you, are you officially enlightened now or are you still in that process? Oh, no, come on. I'm still, <laughs> I'm still stupid ass guy b- bouncing around trying to figure out what all this stuff means. But well, I, want, I got, I got a lot of miles on my tires. So yeah, you know. absolutely. I want to introduce the, the audience a little bit more to you as an individual and as a, as a person. Talk to us about, I mean, what does a day in the life look like with David Allen? I mean, obviously you're, you've impacted so many people, but I mean, how does this look? I mean, is it literally you read the book and it's like the inbox is here and I'm processing my inbox and I'm just this productivity guy. And uh, I've also got some spirituality interest or what, what does David Allen really like? Yeah. All that. (laughs) That's kind of what it is. I mean, I, I haven't really changed my systems or my own practices over the last 20 years very much. You know, I've been doing this since 1981, you know, some version of this. So God, how many years is that? Whatever. Almost, almost 40 years. Yeah. So, so that's all old cruise control. That's like brushing your teeth. That's like taking showers. It's like, of course, I yeah. make a commitment to you. I'm writing it down. I got, I have notepad and pen right here. I mean, that's just a habit. It's yeah. Like, I don't keep anything in my head. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, every once in a while I say, wait a minute, David. Oh God, that just popped in your head again. So I was just eating my lunch and something else popped in. I went, oh, come on, David, you teach this stuff. So I pulled out my little note taker wallet and wrote it down. You know, dumb little thing. And that, now that's one of these notes here, which is, which is what? Uh, oh, yeah, I need to de- do an Instagram about Dan's book I just read, you know, <laughs> which I think is really cool. So I just made that note. It, 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 it's funny because even though I taught this stuff for 40 years or 35 years, it's still, your mind is so seductive. It's, oh, David, you'll always remember that. Right. You know, and, but my cognitive mind says, David, come on, you know better than that. 10 minutes from now, you'll have forgotten you even had that thought. 
that's still going to bang around and pop into your head again, you know, come on, write it friggin' down, you know? And the lazy part of me says, Oh God, do I have to? But the other smarter, lazier part of me says, yes, you do. You know, then you don't, then it's off your mind. It's not going to spin around. You're going to, you're going to, you're relieving ambient anxiety that that thing would have created had I not written it down because mm -hmm. I still want to do it. So I'm still in this game myself, you know, personally, for sure. So if you want to know what my day looks like, my day starts the night before where I look at the hard landscape. What are the, my external commitments I have for the next day or two so that I can sleep as long as I can sleep? I love sleep. Good stuff. So again, I'm not a motivational speaker. I, you know, I sleep as long as I can. I am as lazy as you've ever seen. But I just do all this stuff so I can maintain a clear head so I can follow my spontaneous intuitive hunches about what to do. But that's pretty much what I do is what I feel like doing. Yeah. I have the freedom, freedom to do that because I do this methodology. Doing what you feel like doing is only good for so long until you, know, you get the, the ramifications of what happens when you let stuff fall through the cracks or you are not keeping commitments or recognizing commitments that some part of you says you really ought, would, could, should, ought to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm a huge believer that really, you know, you need to develop these systems in your life and you also need to consciously develop habits in your life, you know, to really accomplish this. And, you know, what you're describing is really the magic and the mundane of preparing for your next day so that then you can have a great night's sleep. And, you know, I think so many people poo poo on sleep and say, Hey, you know, I, I sleep four hours a night and I'm, you know, work a hundred hours a week. And I don't know how long that can last, but I don't know about you. I've studied sleep and how important that is. And, uh, you know, what that can do to your brain if you don't have the appropriate sleep. So maybe there's something there that you're saying, but I mean, w beyond that, I mean, what other conscious habits have you developed in your life? Well, I meditate regularly. I take walks regularly. We have a dog that opens our heart whenever we open the door and take her out for a walk. You know, I'm, I have a fabulous partner in life that we work on man managing and maintaining a really nice, positive, uh, collaborative relationship with each other. You know, I picked up the flute again after 30 years. I hadn't played the flute in 30 years, decided to pick up another one. I've got, I'm staring at a, right now, a, a blank canvas because I started acrylic painting, you know, two years ago. And I stay engaged with people like you that are asking questions like this. You know, again, I just read a fabulous book. It's called Successful Aging by Daniel uh, Leviton. And wow, it's a tome, 400 pages of, of 4,000 research studies that have been done about what happens to your brain as you get older. And it's fascinating. It's a, it's a big eye opener in terms of that we that you don't have to get older when you get old at least yeah your body will, will will start to do stuff but anyway fascinating stuff and by the way he talks a lot about sleep and as you know there's a lot of data now about sleep and the necessity of it to archive to do the archiving part of your brain and and give it the opportunity to sort of you know knit things together you know, otherwise so there's a lot of i think there's an infinite you know, from what I see, there's an infinite amount of self-help information that could potentially affect your productivity, how well you eat, how long you sleep, you know, how you manage difficult conversations. I mean, there's tons of data out there. Mm -hmm. That's not what my methodology is focused on. You know, one of my certified, you know, trainers and licensees is in South Africa, and he's a, also a, a practicing psychotherapist. And I ask him, you know, what's the difference between his work with GTD, which he loves, and psychotherapy. He said, well, 
if people don't do GTD or getting things done, it's very difficult for them to identify what their actual issue is that they want psycho psychotherapy to, to, to deal with. Because if you actually implement GTD, it resolves a ton of presenting issues that people think they need some bigger thing to do when it's like, no, no, actually you can solve that pretty simply if you did that. They said, once they do that, then it's much clearer what we can do. You know, that it, it's much more obvious what the real issue might be that then we can use, you know, another methodology to be able to start to address. So I think that's true with most all the other things in life. There's a lot of stuff. I mean, obviously I looked at your podcast list I and mean, it's obviously a lot of great practices and, you know, good stuff and the, the masters, you know, the master thinking that's, that, that you've been able to curate out there. And I'm sure all that's really good stuff. Yeah. So no, I, I don't know if that answered your question or just, or just let me ramble. You know, well, Hey, we love listening to you ramble because uh, you've got a beautiful mind there and you're certainly successfully aging. Uh, there's no doubt about that, but um, you know, with, with the space that you've created just through your habits over the past 40 years and given yourself the opportunity to be creative and be curious and grow and learn, is there anything recently substantially that you've really changed your mind about, um, you know, maybe over the past few years? No. <laughs> Got it all. No, I, I understood all the things to keep working with. Doesn't mean I handled all of them. I just, I, I sort of identified, well, here's the issue. Here's what I'm dealing with. Here's an addiction I'm trying to change. Understand what addiction is. I understand how to change an addiction. I understand, you know, uh, the, how do you change a habit? I understand how to I'll do all that. And those, you know, so there's, there's nothing that I'm sitting here lacking, you know, in terms of, gee, what do I not know about that I want to be doing or want to be experiencing? I got, I got more information than I need about how many ways I could still keep improving tonight. Yeah, no, I, I love it. Um, so talk to me about, you know, what, what other ways are you investing yourself? You, you're talking about reading, you know, continuing to follow your own processes and course correct there. But how else are you continuing to grow as you successfully age and continue to give back to so many other people? Well, a lot of that, Tyler, is because, you know, about 10 or 15 years ago, we decided, okay, I guess we can poss possibly scale this methodology. Because when I wrote the book and it got translated into 30 languages and started to spread around the world and kind of hit a nerve out there, the world kept banging on our door. And I didn't know how to build a sort of global education around this methodology, but it seemed like it would. And, and the methodology, you know, produces great improvement for anybody's life who implements it. And that has nothing to do with gender, age, culture, none of that. It's a universal best practice that people are not born doing. And when they actually start to do it, it improves their condition, even some small part of this. Gee, if you only get the two-minute rule, it'll change your life. Keep a pen and paper by your bed, you'll sleep better. So there's a lot of just, you know, this is not like running with scissors. There's nothing dangerous about this, and there's nothing hard to do about the different practices. So I said, well, let's see if we can, I guess, let's see if we can scale this. But again, I wasn't that particular entrepreneurial, and I'm not a big, let's build an organization kind of guy. They said the only way we could do that is technology and partnerships. So the last 10 or 15 years, that's what we've done is we've decided to invest in, okay, how do we build, you know, a better educational model than just reading the book? And then how do we build, you know, partnerships and license, a licensee program around the world so that we can train and, you know, certify trainers and coaches that to, to spread this methodology. So that's what we've done. So we're now officially in more than 75 countries 
in terms of where we have, you know, uh, people that are certified to do training and coaching around this. So a lot of my work right now is supporting that whole network. So it kind of, I've shrunk from a 50 person organization to a five person organization because we were able to move ourselves with great partnerships into just an IP licensing business. But a lot of that, you know, my accountability is still to keep the brand, keep the flame and to help support all these partners out there with what they're doing with PR and, you know, and supporting them and, and, and all that. So I was just in Moscow. I was just in Kiev. I was just in Tel Aviv. I was just in Prague. I was just in Athens with new licensees we have there. So that's a lot of what I'm doing now is supporting that. And I'm still doing two to three podcasts a week. I've done over 2000 since the book was first published in 2001. That's so amazing. the world keeps you know, coming out from under the rocks and going, gee, I just heard about this. David talked to us about this. And so that's a lot of what I'm doing. Keeps me active and alive. It keeps me, you know, that's kind of the biggest miracle is that I could still stay engaged and motivated by this stuff that I uncovered 35 years ago. And it's only 12 things. <laughs> right. Like, you know, how can I feel stay and motivated about that? So that's one of my biggest miracles and, you know, kind of strange little paradoxes in my life is that you, you, you poke me, I can't stop, as you can tell. Yeah. Well, I can tell you're certainly very engaged um, and I can tell you're still very passionate about it and you're so present um, with what, you know, in this conversation, which I really appreciate. So what's next for you? I mean, where are you going next? You've already started to scale this, you know, over the past you know decade or plus. What's, uh, what's the next decade look like for David Allen? And I don't know. Yeah, I, I really don't know. You know, it's, it, you know, it's kind of like just follow what shows up in front of my nose, handle that with elegance and completion, and then see what shows up next. I'm willing to sort of follow the spirit as it sort of emerges in terms of things that turn me on and, and where I feel moved, you know, to go into whatever. I, I still keep, you know, people show up, God, I'm going to be in Amsterdam, David, I, I've been a champion of your stuff and freedom. You know, okay, can we have lunch and have coffee? I go, sure, let's do that. So I keep making myself available to the people in the world that wants this. I mean, my mission is to create a world where there are no project, there are no problems, only projects. Hmm. So Tyler, that's, I'm, you know, I'm going to make a, maybe a bare dent in that before I check out, you know, but at least anything that has to do with that's going to, that's going to move me toward fulfilling that purpose. I couldn't stop doing it. So the mission is to let people know that there's no, there's no problems. There's only projects. Well, it's to, it's to give people the awareness and information and methodology that if they want to move out of problem consciousness and into um, in the driver's seat consciousness of their life, this is a methodology that will take you there. I and love so, that. And, you know, it gets rid of complaining and whining and victimizing you know, yourself. So in, in a way, it's kind of all the old personal growth stuff that I grew up in in the 60s and 70s, you know, in the 80s. Yeah. Where it's like you're in the driver's seat, you produce and create, you know, whatever you want in your life. And I didn't have to then engage with people to sort of directly with sort of forcing them and challenging them to do that. I just say, what's in that, what's that piece of paper on your desk and why is it there? Mm -hmm. And once they, you know, get a hold of it and go, oh God, you know, here's what I need to do about that. <laughs> what I did was take them out of the mode of being the victim to that piece of paper to being in the driver's seat about it. Hmm. So I just trained them as something that's going to serve them the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. Why so, has personal growth been so important to you in your life? Because, you know, I wasn't satisfied with 
who I was or how much I knew about who I was or what I was doing and was curious. Yeah, I think, um, you know, that's one of the things that creates some tension, right? It creates tension between who I am now and who I want to be. And then it creates additional to-do lists. It creates projects and it creates problems, so to speak. So I don't know. I just was curious as terms of, you know, did that take you down this path, your own growth? And I was just curious if that was, it's been a driving force in what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. It took a lot of different forms. I can say in retrospect now that I've always been fascinated by the invisible stuff that we can't see that's, that's driving and affecting what we can see. Hmm. So what are the, what are the belief systems and conditionings and paradigms you have that are affecting what you're perceiving and how you're acting right now? And see, if you could get a, if you could get control of the invisible stuff that's driving the visible stuff. Wow. That's a lazy way to live your life. That's an amazing way to live your life. How do, how do folks identify the invisible? Well, (laughs) (laughs) that's a good question. Um, Everybody has a still small voice inside of themselves. But if you stopped and listened and were clear enough in your head, you go, wait a minute, Tyler, don't do that. Hmm. Or here's probably the better thing you ought to do. Or, you know, yeah, ought to, that might be a better thing to do. And so just paying attention to that. And then where is that voice coming from? Which voice is that? I mean, we, we all have, you know, a committee in our head. One part of you just wants to eat and procreate. Right? Another part of you says, I need to listen to Beethoven or I need to, you know, I need to produce a, a great novel or I want to, I want to change the world with some beneficial thing that I come up with. But those, you, you can have both of those in your mind almost simultaneously. Mm-hmm. So then it's just learning to make choices about what you, where do you put your attention and focus? Which voice are you listening to? And then how well do you listen? How well do you recognize which those voices are, which ones you trust? I love it. Listen, take the time to listen, give yourself the space to listen. And um, this is an amazing conversation, David. Um, I want to, you know, be respectful of your time. And I want to transition into what we call our, our rapid fire, our rare air questionnaire, because we continue to raise the bar, we continue to push the limits here, and expand, you know, beyond really what others thought were, were possible. And, and, um, you know, the, uh, I've got a few questions for you. And you've got a big, beautiful stack of books here. Uh, I'd love to know what's what are two or three of the most impactful books you've read along your journey? Well, I'll tell you the last two or three, uh, I just read, as I mentioned before, uh, Successful Aging by Daniel Levitin. Fabulous book of research in the brain and its evolution and what affects it and affects our ability to be able to think appropriately and stay active and engaged as we age. Fabulous book. Right before that, I finished a deep biography of Erasmus. Since I'm a quasi-Dutch person and intend to immigrate, it was fascinating so Erasmus is a kind of a hero of mine now, fascinating guy, what he did in the 1500s. Uh, and then before that, another fabulous book called The Antidote, by the way, great book by, just look it up, The Antidote. The subtitle is Happiness for People Who Can't Stand Self-Help. And it's a lot about the acceptance of current reality. It's a whole lot about, you know, 
he, he goes into stoicism, which I, and it goes to a lot of history of that, which I didn't know, which is stoicism is not necessarily asceticism. It has a lot to do with just accepting where you are so that you, you know, can then move from there appropriately. So, uh, and great book. He writes really well. Oliver Berkman is his name. He's a GTDer, by the way. So, of course he uh, is. <laughs> great book. So is Daniel. Uh, so a lot of these, these folks. Um, what else? Well, those are the last three, anyway. Uh, that I, I don't read a lot, but every once in a while, something kind of rings my bell, and I pick it up and, you know, and uh, and engage with it. So, well, I'm sure your someday maybe pile and your reference material, uh, you know, boxes uh, is got some great content in it as well. But uh, that's great. We'll I, actually, actually, we we don't keep a lot of stuff around. Actually, this this stack of books is sort of impressive for podcasts. But it was actually an archive of all the books, all the different translated books of mine, you know, one each of all the different languages of all the books. Oh, that's awesome. Gonna, we were going to throw them all away, and Catherine said, "You know, it'd probably be a good idea to just keep." one each as an archive just for whatever because we're we're really freedom kind of people we don't like to keep a whole a bunch of stuff we finish reading stuff we tend to book, give the books away uh, so we don't keep a big archive of all that stuff around but anyway it looks good in podcast so yeah well it's like <laughs> um the there's a guy jocko willink he says discipline equals freedom and i think that that's what strikes me about uh you know who you are as a person and what you preach really is that the d discipline of your lifestyle and these processes equals that freedom you, you, which you just mentioned uh, so I think you know and awesome. I, you know i you know I, tyler tyler to, to everybody listening to this i i actually am a little slightly allergic to the word discipline it just sounds like productivity it sounds like hard work it sounds like more sweat it's like yeah. oh my god come on a lot of baggage with all those words i mean who's everybody's already up to here mm -hmm. you know, i say direction you don't break a sweat by deciding what to do with an email as opposed to just closing it up again and leaving it in your investment. You need to direct your thinking. So a lot of what I teach is how to direct my thinking about something, but that doesn't break a sweat. You don't need discipline to do that. Well, in a way you do, you need to, you need to be the awareness that what I need to do is think this way about this. Mm -hmm. And if you want to call that discipline, I say, fine. But again, it's more, how do I direct myself? For sure. Well, I mean, yeah, the structure processes, all those things do not excite me at all. I mean, but <laughs> the excitement that can occur when you create some more direction or you take some more direction from what you're teaching. And, and anyway, I just think that it's, it's amazing the, uh, the transformation that can occur. Yeah. So, David, what's the, uh, what's the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis beyond what we've already talked about today? I relax. I breathe. You know, I take hot showers. I walk my dog. I uh, pay attention to my intuitive hunches about what to do and what I feel like doing. Good wine helps too. <laughs> so uh, any and all of those. And just, it really just kind of paying attention and relaxing. Mm -hmm. And then saying, you know, what most moves me, what most has my attention, mm -hmm. right? And then just following that path. Presence goes back to that presence. Yeah. I don't think, we, I don't think you have to work at what to create. I think you just need to relax and then finish what's in front of you and what the next thing to create is going to show up organically. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that. 
What's the biggest way that you elevate others around you? Engage. You know, I'm actually an introvert. I'm kind of a closet introvert because a lot of my work, it looks like I'm kind of out there. But actually, you know, I get my energy by being alone and being quiet, regrouping. But I could very easily, you know, crawl off into a cave and disappear, but that would not be the best thing for me. Yeah. So the best thing that keeps me engaged is engaging with people, being willing to have lunch with somebody, being willing to have coffee with somebody, being willing to, you know, to do an interview with somebody, being willing to do, you know, I think out of 2000 invitations, I probably refused about three or four that just seemed a little sleazy in terms of what they were doing. But otherwise it's like, Hey, just engage being willing to be uh, available to people and then let show up whatever shows up with as much loving and presence and consciousness as I can give them. That's awesome. We'll definitely appreciate you engaging with us today. I mean, this has been a ton of fun. Any, um, any parting thoughts or words of wisdom for Elevate Nation? Yeah, your mind's for having ideas, not for holding them. Stop using your head as your office, folks. It's a crappy office. And the cognitive scientists have now proven what I'd learned 35 years ago, which is your head, as soon as you have more than now, they've proven if you have, as soon as you have more than four things you're trying to keep track of in your head, you're going to denigrate your cognitive process. You're not going to be able to think as well or as fast or as clearly or creatively as you could if your head's empty. So do what you need to do to get stuff off your mind. But that's not free. You can't just ignore it. You actually have to go through you know, a designated process to do it. So, hey, if any of this inspires you and you haven't read Getting Things Done, get the book. Absolutely. Get out of your head. Get out of your head. Um, I could not have said it better myself. And and David, I, I definitely want to thank you again so much for taking the time today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Tell the listeners how they can engage with you. Obviously, you're, you're engaging with us, but how can they continue to, to follow you along? Well, there, there's several books, you know, I've written three books and co-authored two more books in the last year or so. And just go to Amazon if you want to do that or your local bookstore. I like to support local bookstores these days. So yeah, go to your local bookstore, get a book, you know, see anything that kind of rings your bell. Just trust your intuition about what to do. Our website, gettingthingsdone.com has a listing. If you want to look into training and coaching, it has listings of all of our licensees and trainers and coaches around the world where they're doing public seminars and are available. So wherever you are, if you're interested in doing that. If you're in the U.S., Vital Smarts, great company out there as our partner delivering our training and GTD Focus delivering our one-on-one coaching. So anybody interested in any of that, which is very powerful stuff, just go to the website and you can see who they are and then check with them and they'll have a lot of information for you. Yeah, and if you're in Amsterdam, reach out for coffee. Maybe uh, David would... <laughs> take you up on that and engage with you. And I would highly encourage you to look up David's work. I mean, it's, it's absolutely uh, transformative and has been for so many people. It certainly has been for myself. And uh, I, I certainly encourage you to re-listen to the show because there's a lot of nuggets of wisdom here that David shares that you may have not been aware of the first time around. So go ahead and re-listen to that and take some notes because what are you going to infer? What sort of space you know, and creativity can you apply to the wisdom that David shared today? And, you know, you've got to take massive action. You've got to go ahead and implement, you know, learn what he's teaching and implement into your own life and share this with someone else. You know, take a screenshot of this and tag David. I know he's on Instagram and Twitter 
and you know all these different places so tag him in your post share this with someone else and you know the teacher is really who learns the most and you know that's really how it anchors into your own nervous system and that's how you create something great within your own life and it's and it's also the right thing to do so with that said uh david thank you again i really really appreciate you being on the show today tyler this was fun great to do and uh, take his advice by the way you learn by teaching so pass on whatever you've learned with somebody else and it'll solidify for you. Absolutely. Elevate Nation, thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit tylerchesser.com.